Hi, and welcome in to the Charlie Reimer Balls in the Air podcast. And yes, folks, it is Masters Week, and I'm coming to you on this Masters Tuesday from Augusta, Georgia. Haven't had a chance to get on the grounds yet. Uh, we've got some COVID protocols that are in place, and all of us that are working uh, on various broadcasts this week, whether it be TV, radio, or internet, have to follow those protocols. So when you get to town, you have to go test, and then you have to wait uh, about 24 hours to get those tests in. Um, once that comes in and you're negative, then you are cleared to get out on the golf course. I can't wait to get out there and see what it looks like. Had a chance uh, over the weekend with the Augusta National Women's Amateur to see that the golf course was in excellent shape, much firmer than uh, when we were here in November. Yeah, that's right, November <laughs> for the last Masters. What a crazy, crazy time we live in. But the uh, golf course was a little sticky back then. I don't think that's the case uh, for this 2021 Masters, at least not early in the week. Unfortunately, the weather forecast is not looking really good. Looks like we've got some rain coming this way Friday or Saturday or Friday and Saturday. Ho hopefully that won't be the case. But um, when I do get out on the course, that'll be later on today or early on Wednesday. I hope to hear uh, balls landing on the green with that really loud sort of a thud and see them bouncing up in the air. Uh, that's uh, really what Masters Golf is all about. This golf course is at its most challenging and interesting, I think, when it's firm and fast. Uh, with the pandemic going on, a few changes uh, while we are back a little more towards normal. It's still far yet from a normal world uh, in terms of patrons on the golf course here. This week, uh, the golf course will be running at about 20% capacity. So if you're lucky enough to be one of those 20%, I know that uh, you're going to have a uh, wonderful experience. Uh, it almost will feel like you're out there alone. Uh, Wednesday of Masters Week is always traditionally the par 3 contest. That won't be taking place this year. But uh, Tuesday is, is uh, always about... Uh, the Champions Dinner. It's actually technically known as the Masters Club Dinner. The Masters Club is, is uh, well, that's a club I'd love to be a part of. You either have to be the chairman of Augusta National or a, or a Masters winner to be a member of that club. And uh, not sure with, uh, with pandemic how many of our past champions are going to be in uh, this evening. I'm sure Tiger Woods won't be in and maybe a few others won't make it, but I'm sure it'll be lively uh, conversation. The menu, by the way, uh, of course, Dustin Johnson is the Rainy Masters champion. He gets to set the menu and uh, pretty bland uh, with the exception of the appetizer. Uh, you get a choice of either pigs in a blanket. That's right. Pigs in a blanket. <laughs> I'm not even sure what pigs in a blanket is. I hope it's like little Smokies, you know, rolled up in some of that pastry dough. That'd be pretty cool. Uh, or a lobster and corn fritters. There's a salad. You can have the house salad or the Caesar salad. I'm a Caesar salad man myself. I believe we've got some mashed potatoes, spring vegetables, and um, you have a choice of a filet mignon or a sea bass. And for dessert, either apple or peach cobbler with vanilla ice cream. That sounds like a pretty good dinner to me. Um, be honest with you, if I was in that room, I really wouldn't care what they were serving for dinner. I would just be so thrilled to be in there. What an amazing tradition that they uh, have uh, at, at, at the Masters Tuesday night. I believe it got started. Ben Hogan is the one that, that uh, came up with the idea, but that would be the uh, 
Masters Club dinner served annually Tuesday night, and that's one where I think everybody's going to show up on time for. So let's have a look at uh, what's going on early in the week. Uh, who's your favorite? Who do you like? Who do you not like? That sort of stuff, and and uh, just just sort of looking from the top down. A lot of folks uh, have Justin Thomas at uh, uh, number one. Of course, uh, Justin had uh, the issue uh, back in uh, Hawaii that uh, caused him uh, uh, quite a few um, uh, issues, some some missed time, doing a little soul searching, uh, use a uh, Homophobic, homophobic slur on the golf course was picked up clearly on the microphone, and that's something that really hurt him. Said that's not who I am, and and uh, went away a little bit, and and uh, uh, got his uh, head straightened out. Came back and didn't immediately start playing great golf, but had a wonderful performance at the players. So he comes in as our players' champion, and. Um, um, his uh, masters, while he hasn't exactly lit it up, he has improved uh, every year that he's played in the masters. If you look at his finishes going back to 2016, tie for 39th, tie for 22nd, tie for 17th, tie for 12th, and last year, fourth. So a lot of folks have him as a favorite. He's not my favorite, but I think he will have a chance. I'm going to the reigning masters champion, Dustin Johnson, uh, coming off that incredible win back in November when he just looked absolutely dominant and <clears throat> just drove the ball so well gave himself plenty of opportunities and really Augusta's about uh, avoiding the big scores and then playing a lot of offense on the par fives if you can keep from making big numbers on par threes and par fours hang in there and then absolutely light up the par fives that's really the the key to success at Augusta if you can drive it long and put it in the right side of the fairway and and again with the golf course being firm it's maybe a little more important to have that proper angle uh, th this year than it has been in the last couple of years. But um, DJ, when he's on with that driver, is as good as we have in the game. And sure, he hasn't played uh, very well this last month or so. I spent some time with him down in the Myrtle Beach area. He was in for his um, Dustin Johnson uh, Junior World Golf Championship that he hosts every year and and uh, had a chance to actually do a nice uh, hour-long interview with him that you'll be able to see coming up on April 26th over on CBS Sports Network on the brand new Charlie Reimer Golf Show that's going to be on 8 p.m. So, uh, 8 p.m.s. Every 8 p. <laughs> I'll get it right. Bear with me, folks. Every Monday night, starting April 19th at 8 p.m. on CBS Sports Network. 8 p.m.s. Now, you know what I meant. But uh, anyway, that interview will be on the 26th of April. I'm looking forward to uh, um having folks see that because he was very relaxed and calm. And right before I interviewed him, he was telling me that his grandfather wasn't doing very well. And then soon after the interview, his grandfather actually passed away. So I think that's uh, something that uh, maybe pulled down his play in March. Uh, I, I expect him to be right back on form coming into this week. And uh, you go down a little farther on the list, John Rahm, his game is very well suited to Augusta, a tremendous iron player, which is uh, – such a, a big part of, of, of uh, playing well here. you, you got to put the ball on the greens in the right spot. And um, In fact, I could take folks who have never played here, put them on every green in regulation with a birdie putt, and they wouldn't break 90. That's how severe the greens are here. you got to be underneath these holes or you're just going to be playing uh, defense the entire time. John, uh, he and his wife just uh, had their first child, and um, 
I'm expecting that's a little bit of a distraction. Being a father myself, that first child is a little bit bigger deal than the rest of them. You know, when you get child two, three, four, five, it ain't no big deal. But when that first one comes, it's a little bit unsteadying, if you know what I mean. And then um, uh, my eye always goes to Bryson DeChambeau, who was uh, on the range yesterday, uh, excuse me, tournament practice area, as we refer to this magnificent practice area here at Augusta National. Uh, he was supposedly getting ball speeds of – 210 miles an hour, and uh, VJ Singh was sitting right beside him watching every little thing that Bryson was doing. And I'm going to tell you what, I don't know how the back takes it, uh, Bryson going at it that hard. But a lot of eyeballs will definitely be on Bryson. And finally, rounding out that top five, Jordan Speed coming in with a win at the Texas Open last week. It had been a four-year dry spell. This is the best golf course for him on the wor- in the whole world. His short game and putting is phenomenal. He can feel his way around this golf course. He comes in with some confidence. He's done a lot of work on his golf swing. I, I think that uh, Jordan will be in the mix as we get late into this golf tournament because it, if you look at what he's done here these last four or five months, it just isn't the win last week in the Texas Open. He's been in contention quite frequently get back a little bit farther a couple of players to look at um Roy McIlroy I just don't like the way Rory's playing uh really struggling with his golf swing right now um most of the time I'm very bullish on Roy McIlroy here at Augusta Lee Westwood coming in playing some of the best golf of his career he has had uh quite a record at Augusta even though he has it won 2010 and 2016 he finished tied for second both of those years he never struggles with his ball striking. His uh, putting stroke is as good as I've ever seen it. He's uh, really releasing the putter well. It's fun to watch him play right now. Patrick Reed, always very dangerous, although he doesn't come in playing great golf. Uh, the Masters champion knows how to get it around this golf course. Uh, Patrick Cantley, um, this is a player who was born to uh, – win major championships and I think when his career's over he's going to have at least two of them and I'm going to be surprised if one of them is not um, here at the Masters he is a tremendous player he's a surly guy he's focused he really doesn't have any weaknesses in his game and then you, you go back a little bit farther I just like this guy Abraham Answer. I haven't had a chance to meet him or talk to him he owns his own tequila company uh, he, he is uh a guy that's just played some some wonderful golf over this last year and a half or so has moved himself firmly up in the top 50 in the world. Last year he was in the mix late in the golf tournament. Shot 76 on Sunday, but uh, ended up finishing tie for 13th. That's uh, that's a long shot to keep your uh, um, keep your uh, keep your eye on. No doubt about that. Well, on this Masters Tuesday, what I want to do now is uh, take you back uh, to. April of last year, April of 2020, Masters Week, I believe it was on Monday. Uh, Of course, uh, the Masters got postponed and no one really knew what was going on in the world of golf and the world of politics and the world of health. Things were really crazy and I had a great opportunity to do a Zoom interview with uh, six-time Masters champion Jack Nicklaus and it was just really so much fun to be able to catch up with him and um, the day that he talked about was uh, Master Sunday, 1986. I was 18 years old. I was on the grounds that day. I can tell you on the second nine, every shot he hit, where I was standing for every shot he hit. It was just an amazing day of golf. And Mr. Nicholas was so gracious and taking us through that entire 
special day of golf, one of the best, if not the best, in the history of the game. So right now, let's go back to 1986, the reflections of Jack Nicklaus. Mr. Nicklaus, um, with the whole country locked down, uh, people hurting, scared, it's Masters Week. Um, I think it's, it's really important to hear from our heroes. And um, the greatest day of golf that I've ever witnessed, and I think most people agree the greatest golf, the greatest day of golf ever, was Sunday, 1986 Masters. And, and I was just hoping you would tell us the story of that day. Well, if you've got a couple hours, I can do it. <laughs> well, unfortunately, we've got a couple of months. Okay, we got. Yeah, I guess that's right. Uh, started out that morning with Steve calling me, and uh, he was at working the tournament at Hattiesburg, and he said, "What do you think, pops?" And I said, "Well, Steve, I think 66 will tie, 65 I, I'll win." I see. He said, "Exact number I got in mind. Go shoot it." So uh, I went out there with that in mind, or went started to go out there. Then I, I looked in my closet and said, oh, well, what am I going to wear today? And I sort of uh, rummaging through there, and I found a yellow shirt. And I looked at Barbara, and I said, what do you think? And she, says, she says, I think Craig would love it. Craig Smith was a young man that uh, uh, was our minister's at home son who died from uh, Ewing's sarcoma. And he, he died in 1971, but I had a nice relationship with him. And we talked a lot. And after I called, I called him after one tournament one time. And I said, uh, he says, you know why you won today? And I said, well, no, why is that, Craig? I said, he says, well, I says, I wore my lucky yellow shirt. So from that point on, if I could, if I wanted to, I wore a yellow shirt quite often. But I hadn't worn, worn one for a couple of years. And. Uh, that sort of popped up that morning. So I went out there with Steve's idea in mind, uh, Jackie on the bag. Uh, my mother and my sister had never, hadn't been to Augusta since the first year I played in 1959. A lot of things, a lot of things were going on. Can, can I ask you real quick about the, what, what you're doing right now with, with, with Play Yellow and the yellow shirt? We've seen Miss Nicholas walk by a couple times in the background. And, and the two of you, in partnership with the PGA of America, PGA Tour, LPGA, uh, Children's Miracle Network Hospitals, you're trying to raise a big chunk of money. Uh, I, I think it's around $100 million. Um, would you tell us about that just a little bit? Well, we've combined with the PGA Tour and, and actually the game of golf uh, to uh, raise $100 million over five years. It's our second year. I think we're a little over thirty million after starting into our second year, uh, uh, for for Children's Miracle Network hospitals, one hundred and seventy of them around the country, and a lot of our tournaments are played in Children's Miracle Network towns. So none of the money ever leaves the town that's that's raised in. It's raised there for that hospital, but it's a, it's a play yellow. We have a a play yellow day. It was going to be the Sunday, the Memorial Tournament this year. Uh, I think we're, Memorial Tournament's going to probably get moved back, I would imagine. Uh, we don't know yet, but I would think that's going to happen. And uh, uh, But that was, that, that was the day that around the country, people want to uh, donate money to uh, children. They would mm. do it on that day. Mm. Uh, and it's, uh, uh, 
I think it's a it's a it's a nice thing that uh, uh, that's happening. I think they're using the, the the yellow shirt thing as a as a uh, sort of a emblem of it, I suppose, or a, whatever you a flagship uh, flag flag of it. And so uh, we're in the, we're we're in the process of trying to raise some money, Charlie. We're trying to. I think we're doing all right so far. We're we're going to raise a lot of money. And for our viewers here, they can find out all the information they need at playyellow.org. Uh, there's an amazing video of a young man that's uh, making the same putt that you made on 17 at, at Augusta on Sunday in 1986. And for our folks that haven't seen it, they got to see it. It's a great reenactment. But uh, sorry to interrupt the golf story there, but no, that, no, that's sorry. really important I, I, I to get that in about play, playyellow.org. Okay, so let's get back to the golf. You were just saying that Steve, maybe the first time he's ever been right, Steve Nicholas. Uh, your, your oldest oh, son, maybe the first time he's ever been right, picked the right number. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we went to the golf course, and I was pretty charged up. I had, I had, uh, I was four shots back, and uh, I had eight players in front of me, and I knew that was not a big number. If I played a good round, I had a good shot at winning. And so I got started off, and I think I, uh, let's see, I don't know where I birdied. Maybe I think I think I birdied uh, six. And uh, then I turned right around and bogeyed seven, if I recall. And uh, then I got really lucky on number eight. I hit the ball to the right of the bunker on eight, and I tried to cut a three-wood around the trees, and I pushed it. Mm -hmm. It went right through the trees. Mm -hmm. If the ball had hit those trees, I'd have still been bouncing around in those trees. <laughs> anyway, it got up there around the green. I made par, and it didn't, didn't do anything. So I wouldn't do anything. Got to the ninth green. I had about a 12-foot putt. And just before I hit the putt, there was a big roar that went up at um, 17. I mean, I mean, sorry, I'm saying the eighth hole. And it was by Asteris holding a wedge. And Fred Eagle, he was, he was leading the tournament. And I sort of walked away from my ball. And I got back over to putt it again. And all of a sudden, another big roar went up from eight. And Tom Kite followed him in, in with a wedge shot right into the hole for another eagle. Two eagles on one hole. And I'm sitting there, there's a lot of yelling going on out there. I turned to the crowd and I said, boy, they made a lot of noise out there. Let's see if we can make a little bit of noise here. And I hold that putt. The crowd really loved it. I shot 35, which wasn't any great shapes, but it was it was the start of what happened. And then at 10, I had about a 25-footer. I did a, like a driver and a five-er. I did about 25 feet short, and I knocked it in the hole. And that was pretty good. And then I hold about a 30-footer and 11. That was pretty good. Now I went to the 12th tee, and... Uh, you know, they go wild at 12. You know how they do there. I guess it's a pretty special place for, for a golfer to walk up to. And uh, I played, played a shot the way I wanted to. I played it over the bunker. And it went to the back fringe. I chipped it about five feet. And then they hit a ball mark in my way. And I hit that ball mark and I missed mm -hmm. the putt. Now, you know, it turned out it may have been the best thing that ever happened to me. Because it obviously brought me back down to earth. And so uh, I went to 13, I hit a three-wood around the corner, hit a, had a little over 200 yards, hit a three-iron onto the green about, I don't know, 30 feet or so, and two-putted it, hit, a, hit, it up, hit on 14, hit it under the back fringe, almost chipped it in. So I'm walking down 15 fairway, and I've hit a good drive at 15. But I know I'm still quite a few shots behind. And uh, I got over the ball, I had 200 and... Uh, 214 yards, I believe it was, to the hole. And I said to Jackie, I said, how far do you think a three will go here? And I said, I don't mean club. <laughs> and he said, I think that will go pretty far. So 
I hit a I hit a four iron from there, and the four iron was a high soft shot. It landed about I don't know six eight feet, rolled to about twelve feet from the hole, and then I and I made that putt. Now that that was pretty good, uh, but by Sarah's behind me was making birdies, and he was he was still four shots ahead of me. So I wasn't really all that much in contention at that point. So we went over to 15. It was 175 yards. A little breeze, maybe just a fraction in our face. Couldn't see the bottom of the pin. It was behind, it's hidden behind the bunker. I hit a five iron and hit it perfect. And Jackie said, be good, be good. And I just reached down, picked up my tee without even looking. I said, it is. <laughs> I mean, pretty cocky statement to be making uh, at that point in, in the tournament. But I knew that the shot was a good shot. And it almost went in the hole. So I made two there. I walk over to the 17th tee, and then there's a big uh, sort of groan and, and cheer at, at, at 15. Well, I knew exactly what happened. I mean, Biaseris was hitting his second shot, and he hit it in the water. And at that point, that moved me back into the tournament. And uh, I remember talking to Seve early in the week, and he said, I said, how you doing, Seve? He said, I, I haven't played a lot this spring. I and my game hasn't been very good. I said, I don't know how I'll hold up under pressure. And I remembered that when he said that to me. And so he had uh, uh, he had, had a, I don't know, halfway between a four and five iron to the green. And when you haven't played, you don't play into 15 green a soft four iron. And, he, and if you remember the swing, he just quit on it horribly. Mm -hmm. And the ball went about halfway across the water. And it was, it, was, it was a five iron for him and hit it. And, but anyway, the ball went in the water, so now I'm, I'm sitting in a pretty good position. And I drove the ball up the left side of the fairway, which I, a little further left than I wanted to, but I still was, I wanted it left side. And I had 110 yards. And I said, well, I can't hit a, a pitching wedge more than 110 yards. So I hit a good hard pitching wedge. And uh, um, I hit it in, hit it about 12 feet left of the hole. Had a putt that broke a little bit left to right, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, left to right, and then turned back to the left. And Jackie and I were looking at it, and he says, I said, what do you think? He says, well, it's got to go right, Dad. And I said, yeah, I know it's going to go right, but I think it's going to come back left uh, towards Ray's Creek. He says, you think so? I said, I think so. I said, I'm pretty sure that it will. Well, anyway, I hit the ball, it broke a little bit right, then straightened out, turning back towards, towards Ray's Creek, and it went in the hole. And, of course, that's the first time all week that I've led the tournament. Incidentally, Charlie, I've hit that putt a hundred times since. It's never broken left again. <laughs> that's the hardest putt on the planet to read. Oh, it's a hard putt. Very difficult putt. And plus the fact it's a lot faster than people think it is. Mm. And uh, so uh, I got to 18th tee. Uh, I knew that I was in pretty good shape. I didn't know that I was leading. And I hit a three-wood and hit it 175 yards, just short and right of the bunker. And Pim was in the back, and uh, I thought I, I didn't. I did not want to be long. I don't like being long on that hole. And uh, so I hit a five iron, and as soon as I hit it, a breath of air hit me in the face. And I said, "Well, I know where that is. I know it's going to be short." So I did. Hit in the bank. Came back down the hill. And uh, uh, earlier, earlier in the year, that fall, the fall previous, we. Our company had redone the ninth and 18th greens, and we changed them from 11% pitch to 8% pitch, keeping the contours the same. And 
you know, to try to allow us to allow them to get the speed on the greens that they wanted without having too much pitch. And so I practiced that particular putt maybe 15 times. And so I, I had a pretty good idea what to do. It was about a 35-footer up the hill, broke a little bit left to right. And I hit it, and I had it right dead in the heart of the hole and stopped about five or six inches sharp. <coughs> and it, it was that was all right. So I went up and tapped the ball in and uh, shook hands with Sandy and his caddy and saw Jackie. We went over, gave Jackie a big hug. And Jackie's always talked about that being a very, very special moment for him because, you know, here I was acknowledging my son and being part of what we were doing. And um, I was, it was very special to me to have Jackie on the bag and, and be part of what was going on. And I mean, at that point in time, I had no idea that I was going to win the tournament, but I knew I was in pretty good shape. And so right behind us uh, came uh, Tom Kite. And Tom Kite hit a really nice second shot in about 12 feet short and right of the pin. Good chance for Bernie. He needed Bernie to tie. He had a really nice putt that just dropped off below the putt, below the hole. And then, uh, so we went over to uh, the Bob Jones cabin, uh, Bobby Jones cabin, and, and I sat down on the couch to start watching Norman make birdies. He birdied 13, 14, 15. I'm sitting, oh my gosh, 16. I got, and I said, hey, I can't sit here. I said, uh, you know, he's making too many birdies with me sitting on this couch. Not that I'm superstitious or anything. <laughs> and uh, so I, I got up and walked around behind the couch. Then he made another birdie at 17. I said, oh my gosh. Well, anyway, he had a perfect tee shot at 18. He sit back at 165 yards with a six iron and hit a pitch out. I mean, not a very good golf swing from Greg. And, uh, uh, you know, he hit, hit, hit a pretty decent pitch from where he was. And he left himself with about 15, 16 foot putt. He missed the putt. And of course, that 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 uh, sewed up the Masters. But, uh, it was a it was a special week. And uh, coming out of that cabin, going down to Butler Cabin for the interview. I mean, um, I, I got knocked six ways from Sunday. Beat people mm. patting me on the back, giving me high fives and what have you. But that was good. I enjoyed that every minute of it. And, uh, that's pretty much the, that's pretty much the story. And then of course. Uh, um, after the round, we had dinner at the, at the club with the, with the family, and uh, you know it was a it was a great it was a great day. Mm. Well, I, I certainly appreciate you sharing the story. I I, I just wanted to ask you, and it's something I've never talked to you about, but coming in to 1986, you hadn't played well that year. You hadn't won a golf tournament uh, in two years, and you hadn't won a major championship uh, in six years, and um, some of the comments early in the week uh i hate to bring it up but but they were calling you know, a few folks were the olden bear and the olden and bear the, is all he's all he's all done he's all washed up mm. an article by tom McAllister from atlanta and uh, john montgomery a friend of mine who we were staying with put it put it on the refrigerator of course uh, you know i had to look at it every time i opened up the refrigerator there's this guy <laughs> that's clubs are rusty he's done he's through he's you know so far and so on and, uh, uh, you know, that, that was okay. And, 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 and I think the article was actually very justified. I was getting old and I was playing <laughs> not very well. And so uh, uh, that's the way it worked. But I, I had that big old putter that I had that week, Charlie. I remember uh, Clay Long, 
the company gave it to me uh, the whole beginning of the year, and he said, Jack, uh, he said, we got this new butter. We, it's got a, a high moment of inertia, whatever in the world that means. <laughs> and I said, uh, that's nice. He says, I said, I'm interested in something that makes putts. I don't care about too much about inertia. And he said, uh, oh, he says, it's a good putter. You'll like it. So I remember the first time I tried it, I played it Eagle Trace, and the wind was blowing hard. And about the third or fourth hole, I had about a six-inch putt that <coughs> I couldn't get the uh, putter settled over. The wind was blowing the putter around, and finally the wind blew the putter into the ball, moved it halfway to the hole. And I said, oh, my gosh. And so uh, that putter was a little light. I so I found another one, put a little bit more weight on it, got it to where it felt better. And then I started putting pretty decent that spring. It was putting pretty good coming into the tournament. Uh, but I wasn't hitting the ball that great. So I went to, you know, Augusta the week before the tournament, and uh, uh, which I always always did. I spent about four days uh, practicing and getting my game shaped. I started hitting the ball much better. And we got to the tournament, and then I didn't putt. I shot 74 the first round and putted not very well. Second round, hit the ball okay and putted a little bit better. 69 the third round. Then I start, I started making a couple of putts. And then, of course, I hit the ball well and putted well the last round. Hmm. Well, Mr. Nicholas, I certainly appreciate your time. People are going to love hearing uh, this story firsthand this week. Uh, th thank you so much. Charlie, my pleasure. It's always, always been good. I'm looking into this FaceTime here behind you. It looks like you've got snow up there. I don't think you do. It looks <laughs> no. like through those windows there's snow out there. We, we've got plenty of, plenty of pollen here. We're... Uh, I know you were up here last year. I live on the south side of Myrtle Beach. We're just, uh, oh, maybe six or eight miles north of, of, of uh, your course, uh, Pauly's Plantation, that you spent some time here. But yeah. no snow, but uh, there's about a quarter inch of pollen out there right now. Oh, boy. So Well, you, you, you and your family stay safe, and uh, we wish you well and look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you, and uh, please pass my love to Miss Nicholas and your whole family, and you all stay tight and safe. Okay, Charlie, thanks. Thank you Take very care. much. So there you have it, first-hand recollection from uh, the greatest day in the history of golf. Uh, so, so much fun to uh, hear from Mr. Nicholas. And uh, I, I just, I, I've heard this story quite a few times. As I mentioned, I was there that day, and, and I just can't get enough of that. In fact, if that doesn't get you fired up, you need to find a new passion because that's about as good as we can do in this game. And, and what I didn't mention in the intro is uh, about five months prior uh, to, to April of 1986, I'd actually uh, spent some time with Mr. Nicholas. We played at uh, uh, La Pines uh, down um, near, um, well, sort of in the Jupiter area. And uh, he was uh, very helpful in uh, helping me figure out where I was uh, going to go to school. So uh, he's been a great friend over the years. And, and, uh, uh, very gracious with his time, and I'm very grateful for that. So uh, that sort of gets us fired up for this 2021 Masters, and I hope everyone enjoys the week. I think it's going to be an exciting week. Hopefully that rain will hold off. Uh, I'm going to be up here all week working for Westwood One. This is my 13th year with a media credential, and uh, the past 12 years I've actually I've been the lead analyst for Westwood One, and, and uh, that work falls to uh, serious XM and Greg Norman will be the lead um, radio analyst for uh, Sirius XM this week. I'm sure he's going to do 
an amazing job, and I'll be doing a rap show on the Westwood One Radio um, Network, which is uh, the largest sports network in the world, and uh, you can find us uh, all over on AM and FM, and we'll just sort of be putting a button on uh, everything at the end of every day, so I look forward to doing that for Westwood One. Appreciate you joining me right here on the Charlie Reimer Balls in the Air podcast. You can find us wherever you listen to your podcast and make sure you like us. And I can't wait to have you back here next time.